Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 263, and today we are talking about books being released on June 9th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hi, friend. Another month has gone by. Yeah, I can't believe we're six months into the year. (laughs) No, it doesn't (sighs) seem possible, especially since May was like three years long. Yeah, I definitely got the not talking to, but sort of just reminder like, hey, if you want to use some PTO, and I'm like, well, I'm saving it for, oh, it's six months, and I like haven't, ta- oh, okay, like it's <laughs> like that weird, you know, like you just, we've been here since March, so like, not, I don't know, it's just that yeah. kind of dawned on me the other day. Yeah. Good thing everything's running so smoothly in the world. Yeah, seriously. <sighs> it's a, uh, I don't even know what to say, you know? This has been the toughest part all week. It's like, what do you say? Yeah. And it's been like the last week has been one of the toughest of my life for other reasons. So it's been hard to to keep my head on. (laughs) You're doing a good job. Thank you. Everyone has been very helpful at Book Riot. I appreciate everyone taking care of me this week. And uh, there have been some things that have been getting me through in my own world. Um, There are six baby woodchucks outside my window. Well, not right outside my window. But that is my exciting, exciting news. (laughs) After not having any woodchucks for many years, I think 2017 was the last time we had any large amount of them. Uh, I had a friend over the other day and she was testing out her new uh, metal detector, which is like so cool. Like, I don't know why more people don't do it. It's it's pretty exciting. I was watching her do it. She's Her neighbor's been out of work, and so he's been doing it a lot, and she caught the bug, and she wanted to check out our land, and so she was digging in our backyard, and she found, like, the, like, woodchuck highway, <laughs> like, underground, and so I was like, oh, well, there's, like, a big hole over here. There's a big den. This is where they used to hang out, and we walked over, and I pulled the, like, branches back on the bushes to look, and I made a noise that only dogs could hear because there were these little tiny faces just, like, looking at me like, hi, what you doing? And they're like, I don't think we're supposed to be here with you. And, like, we're like, boom, back into the den. And so after, like, staking out the window for many hours because... Like, no one could tear me away from it in my house. You know, I watched yeah. over in that corner. And there were six of them. Six little babies. They look like little baked potatoes with legs. That's what I call them. I call them lawn bears and, like, exactly. baked potatoes. They're so cute. They're so, Oh, my goodness. That was amazing, though, to be that close. Like, you're fun on social media anyway, but, like, watching those has been my little piece of joy. <laughs> They're just so cute. Yeah. It's so amazing. It's like, you know... You read Winnie the Pooh and you like think about animals and like dens and burrows like under the ground, but they have another hole in our yard that they use sometimes. So like, it's like, looks like whack-a-mole. It literally looks like whack-a-mole. Like you see one pop up in the yard and then they pop back down and you see one pop up and they pop back down and you're like, those are living underneath where I'm walking right now. And it's like, it's a weird thing, you know, it's funny though. 
And yes, I know that woodchucks are bad for your property, and we also know that woodchucks are bad for your plants, and we just don't care. <laughs> it's more exciting to watch them. Way more exciting. Than, uh, you know, than anything that we could do. So that's my very long woodchuck story. I appreciate a woodchuck story. We all need a woodchuck story. <laughs> the, they have nothing to do with, with books, but <laughs> they've been getting me through this week because it's been a long one. So we're going to talk about books now. We are. Yeah. First, we're going to hear from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now we're going to talk about books. <laughs> so I can't remember if I mentioned this first pick back in the preview show. And I know I've said a couple times, like, this might be my favorite cover of the year, but this one might be my favorite cover of the year. It's Pizza Girl by Jean Kyung Frazier, and the cover is like a 1980s Trapper Keeper, is basically how I can describe it. It's like neon colors with like a little bit of like checkerboard in the back, and it has a pizza with pickles on it, which is for a reason that you're going to find out in a moment. And it's so, like, I guess I should say like tubular. Totally rad. I don't know, like some 80s word. It's so fantastic, the cover. Uh, and I saw it and was like, well, I want to read this book. I don't know what it is. But it actually turns out to be one of the most excellent coming-of-age novels that I have read in a long time. It's very multi-layered. It's very funny. It's very sad. It's, it's all kinds of things and gives you lots of emotions. The narrator does not have a name. So we're just going to call her Pizza Girl. She is living in Los Angeles. She is 18 years old. She works as a pizza girl. She works at a pizza place. She delivers pizzas. Um, she lives with her mom and her boyfriend. She is pregnant. She's 18 years old. She's pregnant. Wasn't expecting that to happen. Her dad passed away a couple years before that, and she's deeply unhappy with her life, you know, because she's been grieving for her dad, and she's pregnant, and she's not sure she's excited about that. And... She's at work one night and she gets a phone call from this woman who is like, do you put uh, pickles on your pizza? And she's like, no, who does that? And she's like, well, we just moved to this area. I'm here with my young son. And we move around a lot. And the last place we lived, they put pickles on pizza. And now it's all he wants. And I was really hoping, you know, I've been calling every place in the area. And I was really hoping that you would do that. And for some reason, Pizza Girl decides like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to get some pickles. And I'm going to bring him back to work and we're going to put him on this pizza for this woman uh, so that her son will be happy and will eat his dinner because, you know, the woman is like, talk, 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 talk at her, telling her her life story and like how her child won't eat anything but pizza with pickles on it. And now he's not going to eat his dinner. And so she does this. She goes in, she goes to the grocery store, she gets pickles and she brings them to the 
home of this woman with her son. And the woman's name is Jenny. And they strike up a friendship. And Pizza Girl kind of becomes enamored with Jenny. Um, and her life and her story and her energy. And, you know, she starts talking to her and telling her things that, you know, she hasn't said out loud. Like, she really doesn't want to have a baby. She's not excited about having a baby. And she starts sharing, like, her real feelings. You know, she's still processing her grief over her dad. And she's living with this man-child. Basically, her boyfriend is, you know, young like her and not very responsible. He brings a cat home that someone found outside. And, you know, he's hanging around the house and they li they're living with her mom. And, you know, she's going to have a baby with this guy. And she's seeing, like, Jenny's life. And she's hearing other stories. And she's thinking about what her life could be like if she wasn't now about to have a child at 18 years old, and, like, how these, the decisions that she has made has led her to this. And speaking of decisions, she makes some bad decisions. Throughout the book, she makes some really bad decisions. She's utterly human. That's one of the things that I love about this novel, is that, you know, she's just human. You know, it's a coming-of-age novel, but anybody can read any novel at any age. Um, but there is some crude language that might upset some people, but... You know, it's so fantastic. And plus, you probably can't hear it over the very loud cover. But I just found it to be an amazing story of being human. Like, there is no right way to be human. And, you know, it's a great look at someone young already reflecting on adult decisions that they've made when they're only 18 years old. And like I said, it's very funny, but it's also very sad and deeply moving. It is Pizza Girl, and it is by Jean Kyung Fraser. That cover is really awesome. Oh, it's so rad. Yeah, it's the reddest. It's great. I did not think I was going to hear the word tubular in 2020. I don't know where I pulled that from. <laughs> Somewhere dark and deep inside. <laughs> Thank you for doing the Lord's work. I was like, I muted myself because I was laughing. <laughs> uh, okay, so I will now talk about my first book. Uh, my first pick is The Boyfriend Project by Farah Roshan. Farah Roshan is really fun just as a person. You should follow her on social media. She's she's just great. She was actually previously on the board of the RWA. So if you follow the romance community at all, you will know that that's a big deal because the RWA before COVID and obviously like the tragedy of the world right now kind of took place. That was sort of one of the big stories of the year. Um, so she has written a new romance. She talks about it actually on a episode of, I can't remember if I'm allowed to say the B word on this show, smart B trashy books. So she is on that talking about this book and like what it meant to her to write a book about like strong Black women and sisterhood and friendship that you should check out because it's a really great supplement to the book. So the book itself is a contemporary office romance kind of comedy too. It's about Samaya, who is a software engineer. And she's on a date with a dude who's just the worst, like the worst. And so she starts live tweeting the details of the date. And he's horrible in just about, you know, every way. It's funny, like the way she's, you know, recounting it and it's like appalling and awful. And so the tweets go viral and like people are really invested in it, as you know, sometimes happens with these Twitter things where something's happening live and everyone's sort of tuning in. And so she's she's talking about this date. And then two women who, you know, find this Twitter thread and are seeing it happen in real time are like, hey, funny story. I know that guy because that's my boyfriend. So it's not one, but two other women. And they decide they're going to show up at the restaurant and confront him. So Samaya is again on this date, which she already knows is terrible, when these two women, Taylor and London, show up and they make a scene. And so all three of the women essentially, you know, dump the dude on the spot and 
make a fool of him, etc. That itself goes super viral too. And then the three women, rather than obviously what could have happened, which is to harbor some sort of kind of resentment against each other, which makes no sense because obviously he's a bad guy here. But they decide they're going to have a couple of Moscow mules, maybe more than a couple, and they're going to chat and they just become super great friends. Like it's like an instant sisterhood. They are, you know, they recognize the power of, you know, women sticking together and they do, they just become like fast friends. And within that friendship, they decide that they're going to make a pact. And that pact is that they're going to basically take a break from dating. They're going to focus on themselves, you know, their careers, their other life goals. So for Samaya, for example, that involves the fact that she's developing and wants to sell an app that she's created called the Just Friends app which is like an app where you can find like platonic friends and you, you know, through shared interests and sounds a little bit kind of like the, whatever the bumble is for just finding friends sort of thing. So everything's going great. She's working on the app. Things are, you know, fantastic between the three women. They're really great friends. But of course, as often happens, when you make a vow not to date, she meets this guy. It's actually someone that's like the new hot guy in the office. His name is Daniel. And they just hit it off you know, right away and Samaya finds herself having to, you know, decide like, is she going to stick to the pact with these women whose friendship she like extremely values and who she is, you know, they're just important to her or is she going to succumb to Daniel's charms? And then the added layer there is that she quickly also starts to pick up on the fact that Daniel might not be who he seems. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Remains to be seen. So that's what you gotta, you know, read to find out. But the book was just so delightful. I am definitely, I, I have not been like a huge romance reader in, throughout most of my life. And then about sometime late last year started and now I'm on like a raging kick. And it's great because it's definitely a bit of a balm in the times that we're seeing. I loved seeing strong female friendships on the page. Like I, you know, mentioned in that interview, it definitely touches a lot on the struggles of Black women in the workplace period, but definitely, you know, a black woman in STEM. <laughs> There's, it's really great to see not just the female friendship within, you know, themselves, how there wasn't any cattiness or any like misdirecting of blame or rage, but that they, the Samaya in particular is really determined to like pull other black women up and girls in the ladder, which is, it's, I think, just a very realistic portrayal. <laughs> when I, I loved the friendship is definitely my favorite part. The romance is great too. And dude sounds very sexy, but the, the friendship was just so amazing to see. The way their their banter is really great. It just it felt very like fresh and yeah. I love good dialogue. I like what dialogue feels you know realistic. So yeah, look up that interview on Smart Word the Word that Rhymes with Witches <laughs> Trashy Books. That's by Farah Rashan, and that again is the Boyfriend Project. Okay, my next pick is a super downer. Like it's a mystery. It's a very well written mystery, and it's a really big downer. It's very sad. And there's going to be a lot of discussion of substance abuse and illness and death uh, in my description of this book. So if that's something you're sensitive to or you don't want to hear about today, uh, I would skip ahead. Uh, my pick is The Distant Dead by Heather Young. Like I said, this is a really good book. It's really well written. It's like a literary mystery, but it's it's also very, very sad. Uh, so it takes place in a tiny Nevada town. Someone has murdered the new math teacher. There are three narrators in this story. The book goes back and forth in time as we kind of learn about each character's or each narrator's backstory and where they were when this happened, what happened leading up to it. One of the narrators is Nora. 
She is a young woman who works at the middle school as a social studies teacher. Uh, she knew the math teacher the best out of anyone. And when I say that, it's not much at all because no one really knew him. He was this brilliant math professor who suddenly gave up his job at a university to come teach math in the middle of nowhere. His name was Mr. Merkel. And, uh, you know, no one knows, like, why he did that. No one could really get him to tell his story. Uh, just that he seemed kind of sad. But Norris talked to him more than anyone. She's also living at home. Uh, she went off to college, but then she returned because her father and brother were in an accident. Her brother was killed. Her mother had passed away a couple years before that, and so now she's taking care of her dad uh, while she's teaching and living in this little tiny town where, like, her ex-husband is a police officer there, and everybody knows everybody's business, everybody, you know, gossips. Another one of the characters in the, the book, one of the narrators, is Jake. He is an EMT. He is the first person on the scene when the body is discovered, and you know, he knows right away, like, this was not an accident. And also, he was in love with a woman named Gracie, who was a bartender in town, uh, who died the year before. And he's still, like, carrying this torch for Gracie. They were never an item, but he's just always loved her. Uh, and he's still very sad that she passed away. The other narrator of the book is Sal, who was Gracie's son. He is a middle school student. He now lives with his uncles. Uh, he never knew his father. And they live on this piece of property out in the woods that has been in their family for generations. They're very poor, but, you know, they have this land and they're very proud, um, his two uncles. And, you know, he learns about, like, his grandparents, like, they've both passed away. And Mr. Merkel, the math teacher, kind of takes him under his wing. He sees this child who is, you know, underfed and poorly dressed and, you know, takes an interest in him. He tries to, like, be his friend and help him out by, like, not really, like, letting him know that he's helping him out. But but Sal is very smart and realizes, you know, like, he's helping him out. Um, and Sal, unfortunately, is the one who found Mr. Merkel's body in the woods. Um, so everyone is wondering, like, who was Mr. Merkel? Why did he leave this job at the university? Like, what secrets is he keeping? Was he keeping, um, you know, the who was the man that Nora saw leaving Mr. Merkel's house the day after he died? What does Jake actually know about Gracie, Sal's mother? Uh, everybody has secrets. Everybody is experiencing tremendous loss. And it reminded me a little bit of The Dry by Jane Harper, like this very small town where, you know, the past comes back and it's, you know, very sad. But it was just, it was so well written. And I was actually surprised at the end. At the beginning, I I almost think she did this on purpose. I feel like you're like, oh, well, this is who it's going to be. Like, even though she hasn't, like, come out and said, like, obviously it's going to be, you know, this person because, you know, it's it's just headed in that direction. Um, and it was not. And I was quite surprised. The, my only, like, complaint about this book is that there are no inappropriate relationships between teachers and students. I just want to make that clear in case you were worried. But the kids and the teachers, like, hang out together. Like, they go out for lunch. Um, they bring them home from school. They And I'm like thinking, I don't think that teachers and students are allowed to do that. Like, I don't think you could just be like, hey, if you want to stay after class, I'll give you a ride home and like not have to ask their parents or anything. I found that to be a little strange. But other than that, you know, I thought it was a great story. A lot of really good writing about grief and substance abuse. And it is The Distant Dead by Heather Young. I was like trying to read a downer and I couldn't. <laughs> Thank you for doing the work. 
Well, I actually read that along like many months ago. So ah, indeed, you usually like, are oh, way ahead of the curve. Had that in feather in my cap. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> okay, so I will talk about my next pick, which is one of the other two things that I'm leaning into right now. It's like romance and food. Um, and so this book is Rebel Chef in Search of What Matters by Dominique Klen. So I love me a food memoir. I love food. I love it in all its forms, whether it is, you know, like really humble preparations to like the hoity-toy. Like I just love the art of cuisine all the way. And if you do too, then this book is probably going to speak to you. So Dominique Klan is one of, or she was the first woman in the United States to be awarded a, a two Michelin star rating. And she has done it more than once. <laughs> she, I think, has a total of maybe four Michelin stars to her name. And so this book is essentially her memoir to becoming a chef, which is sort of through a bit of a non-traditional route. So she was born in France. We actually don't know much about her origins beyond the fact that she was... And you know what, actually? No, yeah, she was born in, in France. That much we do know because of a birth certificate. But she was adopted when she was 18 months old and has no recollection on the first 18 months of her life. She does know, has never met her mom or her, or her parents. And I, I can't remember whether she mentions having siblings that she's never met, but the point being that she's just never met the family that she was like biologically you know, born into. So at 18 months, her parents, who already had a son, wanted to adopt another child. They wanted one more child, so for a total of two. They were set to adopt another child. They went to the orphanage. And when they got there, the agency or, you know, the orphanage, the staff, whatever, told them, hey, thing we didn't tell you is that the person, the child you're trying to adopt has a sibling. And so the parents didn't want to split up the siblings, but also were not prepared to have three children. And so they were walking away and like trying to think what to do when they saw this little girl who they say was just beaming at them. And it's like a big story of legend in the family that she was smiling. And as they were already kind of starting to be interested in potentially adopting her, the, her little older brother walked up to her just unprovoked and just like hugged her really tight. So they snapped a picture of it and were like, this is our daughter. And so that's how Dominique came to be a part of the clan family. She grew up mainly in Brittany on the family farm. So Brittany is in the northwestern part of France on the coast. And she grew up in a family where like her dad was not much of a cook. Her mother was very much the cook. Her grandmother also just taught her tons about, you know, food and plants. And she describes from an early age being really connected to the process of, of like how food gets made of cooking itself. She bonded with her mother over it. And, you know, remembers even as she was getting older and kids in her classes were starting to want to do stuff like go to Ibiza for the weekend and party and rage that she just wanted to go back to her grandmother's on the farm and, and talk to her about, you know, again, food and agriculture. That's just like always where her passion was. Her mother, spont and the thing is in the, like, I can't remember if I just missed this later on, but they just basically say, and one day she started bleeding and they took her to the hospital. Like it doesn't say how or from where or whatever, but she got really ill. And in that time, because it sounds like it was an extended period of time, Dominique because her father was so terrible at cooking, like he literally served them beets one day that were raw and hadn't been peeled, uh, took it upon herself to be like, well, I guess I just need to start feeding the family. And, you know, she admits at that age, it was more assembling than it was cooking, but still she, she took a lot of interest in what that was. And so they started to see that bud in her and she did not have, you know, what I would think most of us have as an experience because her parents, as soon as they picked up on the fact that she was you know, what we now would maybe call a foodie, they made sure, like, they took her, her dad in particular, who was a 
politician, like took her to restaurants, like, you know, Michelin starred restaurants. And she was eating foods that for most children, if you were to put in front of them, they'd be like, eh, you know, that's just not what they're trying to do. Her father's best friend was a food critic, like a renowned food critic. So she had like the most access to, you know, restaurants that most of us, even as adults, probably don't have access to and probably couldn't afford. So it's not like it's typical. You know, she definitely had that, you know, sort of privilege there. And and she acknowledges that. But she got to a point in her life where she knew she wanted to cook, but she was essentially thwarted by what is common all over the place, but was definitely very prevalent in France at the time, which is that the kitchens were all dominated by men. And they were extremely reluctant to let a woman into that space. So she took a little bit of time to like go study you know, non-Fushi, I think has a bachelor's in economics and a master's in like international business. But she decided she needed to get out of France because France is, as she describes, nowhere near as like progressive as people like to think. Like it's it's very Catholic. It is in large parts still very conservative, even in Paris. And she figuring out that she was, her sexuality was not, that she wasn't heterosexual, that she was attracted to women and that she wanted to do this food thing. She was like, I just knew that I needed to to move out of France. And that's how she came to live in San Francisco. So the rest of the book is essentially the chronicling of like how that came to happen with a lot of flashbacks to her family. And again, these little vignettes on how she came to love food and the experience of it. And she's very, very strongly attached to, again, like knowing where the food comes from, kind of the farm to table sort of concept. And her restaurant is one of the most famous in the world, it's Atelier Clan, which is in San Francisco to this day. Her career bounced around all over the place, but you know the book talks essentially how she came to earn the Michelin stars, what her whole concept and approach to food is, which I will say for some people is probably like depending on how you approach food. Like I, I very much appreciate her approach and that she really does look at it like art. And that is, I mean, <laughs> her restaurant, when you walk in, you get a menu that's actually a poem. And all the courses are like a line from the poem, loosely, like not not literally, but very abstractly interpreted. And I know plenty of people who would take one look at that and like start to roll their eyes. But I really, I, I loved it. I'm a sucker for this sort of thing. Like she talks about how so many of her memories of like where she grew up and in an homage to her father, like are woven into her recipes, which are just so over the top and but like beautifully constructed. And I'm totally rambling about this book now. But if you are a food person, it was just really nice to spend time with, again, a woman who broke a lot of boundaries, who is an activist for like women's rights and climate change and and just, just done these really inventive things with cuisine. I think you will enjoy that. Plus, it's really nice to spend time in the region of France that she's in and how she talks about it. So again, that is Rebel Chef in Search of What Matters by Dominique Klein. Okay. Now I'm going to gross you out. <laughs> here's a book about food, and now here's a really creepy book if things about the human body freak you out, which some of them should, uh, but it's really good. Um, I actually, this actually came out last week, uh, like I might have mentioned at the beginning of the show. It was quite the week here in Maine, so I did not get to read any more titles. I did start some more titles that I was like, oh, these might be good, but then looked them up and they all changed. I think I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, once again, that pub dates are still changing like mad, so we have looked these up and seen that they come out today on the 9th, but... That could change by the time the show comes out. Uh, And we are sorry for that. We are trying our best. So this book actually came out last week, but I'm going to talk about it now because there are many of you who like a science book about, you know, lots of facts about a very specific thing. And this one is about our body's largest organ, 
The Skin. This is The Remarkable Life of Skin, an intimate journey across our largest organ by Monty Lyman. You know, because when you say, like, what is your body's largest organ, most people think internally when actually it is your skin. This book is full of facts about your skin. I don't need to say that again because that's what it's about. It's about the ways that it protects us, the ways it can be damaged, the things that are bad for it. I think, you know, they talk about sometimes when women have children, how they forget the pain of childbirth. Like, your body does that to you because otherwise, like, they wouldn't have more than one child. And I feel like my brain does that about skin because there are living things climbing all over us. But I forget that fact. And then when I read it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, my body is crawling with little tiny living things, as is everyone else's. And then I'm like, bleh. And then I forget again. Um, So I'm here to remind you right now so you can shiver in your seat. And uh, yeah, but the skin is an amazing organ. It is a self-healing machine. Lyman talks about, you know, how what you eat affects your skin, how your skin is connected to other parts of your body, to your brain, to your gut, um, the serious conditions that you can have that affect your skin, how you can take better care of your skin. Like I said, there are some things in here that are going to make you go, that is so gross. Uh, And it is true. It is so gross. But also miraculous. Your skin is miraculous. Um, One of the things I liked about this book is that he talks about tattoos. Uh, He calls them infinite infections, which is basically what they are because your body is trying to push that ink out of your skin, but because it's so many layers down, it can't get it out. And so you have an infinite infection in your skin. Uh, And I like that I'm covered in infinite infections. It just makes me laugh, that expression. He talks about how there is no such thing as a healthy tan and, you know, how we are supposed to get vitamin D, yet going out in the sun for extended periods of time is bad for you. So, you know, how do you fix that? The answer, carrots. Because carrots, you know, they're an answer for a lot of things. But I read some of the reviews of this on Goodreads after I read it, and there were a few people who said, this book made me so bleh, I couldn't continue to read it. So, you know, if, you know, gross health things, gross science things are not your jam, this is definitely not the book for you. If you are fascinated uh, by the body or science or, you know, I mean, your skin is holding you all in. You should learn some things about it uh, that you don't know. So I would check it out. It is The Remarkable Life of Skin, An Intimate Journey Across Our Largest Organ by Monty Lyman. And now we're going to hear from our next sponsor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, take us home. 
I would first like to share that I was that annoying kid that used to go around being like, what's the largest organ in your body? And wait people to get it wrong and be like, it's your epidermis. So the whole time I was thinking about that as you were talking, I'm like, oh, I was not a very cool kid. <laughs> well, maybe not to some, but maybe some other people would be like, that's totally cool. Um, I've just started watching Bob's Burgers and I adore the children. Yeah, they're pretty great. Like, I didn't think I would, but... I really like the kids, and they are so not cool at all. <laughs> Indeed, no, I love them too. <laughs> all right, so now I will actually take us home with a book, and that is The Secret Women by Sheila Williams. So when this book opens, I, I will admit, so I, I too was going through a little bit what Liberty mentioned, where I was like going through books, and like some of them were meh, and then I found this one, and it was it, it kind of like immediately grabbed me because I started reading it this week, which is, again, we all know has been a really tough and heavy week, Black Lives Matter. And the book, the very first sentence on the page is like, today is not a namaste kind of day. And I've been getting really into yoga in the last year or so. And I definitely have felt like that way all day, every day. So I was like, okay, let me sit down with this book. <laughs> like, Because it just felt like it was right for my mood. Um, so it's this woman named Elise who is in a yoga class. She's in this 90-minute yoga class. And she's just not feeling it. She can't exactly articulate why, but she's really not feeling... The vibes, like the positions aren't calming her. The breathing isn't helping her teacher constantly, you know, spitting out all the, I don't want to call them like senseless platitudes because I do really love the practice of yoga, but maybe not picking up on where her class was at the time. Just kind of kept being like, well, just breathe. And she's like, I'm really not in the space today. And so she decides to concentrate more on like what she's going to do after. She's like, oh, I'm going to go get some tacos and like a margarita or like maybe some Thai food. And she's so concentrated on that, that when... She is supposed to, I think, be in, like, down dog. She just, like, loses her concentration, and so she slips, and she eats it, like, really hard. And it hurts. She hits her funny bone, like, pretty hard, and so she says a curse word. And the teacher's, like, super offended because, oh, curse words, you know? But she realizes that there's two other women in the group who seem to be looking at her the same way. Like, now we feel you we're not really into this today either. So as they're all at the end of the class, like, gathering their things to, you know, go home or what have you. The two women approach her and make a comment about like, hey, you know, we realized you haven't been in class for a few months, but she hadn't been. She's like, yeah, I've been going through some things. It's fine. You know, I'm just going to go have like a margarita and some tacos and some chips and salsa and everything will be fine. And they're like, oh, hey, like, we'll join you. So they do. They all head to this, you know, local Mexican restaurant and have it up. <laughs> so they're having the margaritas and the coronas and the tacos and the chips and salsa and having a good old time. They're, they're bonding. They're sharing, you know, each of their stories, where they are at in their life and their career, when Elise just sort of spontaneously starts crying. And so, of course, they're concerned, you know, what's going on? She's like, I'm so sorry. It's just that one of you said, you know, mentioned your mother or like motherhood, and I lost my mom recently. And it's hard for her, you know, it's still like very fresh. She's in her mind rehashing the fact that, you know, her children and her husband held it against her, like how long it took her to, or really just the whole process of her grieving and, and losing her mother was terrible. She has some regrets about like the last conversation they had, which I think is something a lot of people can relate to. And so she's, you know, sharing that when the other two women also kind of like take a beat and, you know, hold her hand and are like, hey, you happen to be in the company of like two women who are in your same position. Like both of the other women have lost their mothers within the last, I think, like 15 months or so. So one of them raises a glass and says like, okay, I, you know, hereby establish the like daughters of the dead mothers club or something like that. And it's, you know, they both, they all smile and talk about their moms and agree that they're going to keep this friendship up and they're going to meet on a monthly basis, have these, you know, their little margarita nights. 
And they also make a pact that they're going to try to get to know their mothers better in the sense that they're going to like go through their personal items and just see if they can. As I think a lot of people do when you lose someone you love that, you know, you want to go back and see if you can piece together the parts of them that maybe you didn't know as much about. And that is kind of where the title of the book comes in. They discover, you know, in that process of doing that, that they... Like, they really didn't know a lot about their mothers. There's a lot of secrets in there. And and secrets is maybe not necessarily always the right word so much. It's just that all of them had aspects and facets and pieces of just their lives that they didn't either choose to share or that came, like, before they were, you know, married and had children. Just all of us have, obviously, stories that are not of one shade and experience. And I think a lot of, again, I keep saying relatable but the older we get we tend to look at the people around us whether it be a mother or just someone else that was important to you and start to understand if not completely agree with but at least understand people's actions and motivations differently once you kind of get to know who they were in their prior life so it was just a really beautiful book to see again women of a, of middle age which i think is always a great thing i don't see enough of that in books <laughs> women who aren't white <laughs> which is also great because i was kind of in the mood for a bit of a eat pray love type of thing but with uh, actual uh, just other kinds of characters not your typical kind of white woman narrative it was fun it was the, the friendship as i keep saying is the thing that i'm really drawn to in books right now and this was definitely one and it was you know it's emotional and i have my feelings about loss and stuff so there was a little bit of that but i just really enjoyed spending time with these characters and, and hope sh- to see more of them in the future so again my last book was the secret women by sheila williams okay that is it for our new books today what are you going to read next I am going to read, for Read Harder, for our Read Harder Challenge, I need to read a doorstopper. <laughs> so I'm going to read The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. I am very excited about that book. Me too. I am going to read White Tears, Brown Scars, How White Feminism Betrays Women of Color by Ruby Hamad, uh, which was on my list of things to read, but now is doubly important, I think, with everything going on this week. You know, I, I said at the beginning of the show I didn't really know what to say about what was going on, but you know, it's important what is happening right now. Black Lives Matter, everything's going on in the country. It's terrible. It's frightening. But it's also important. You know, things have to change. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know what I can do. You know, what can I do? And we're readers. So start with books. Like, educate yourself. Pick something up and read it. You know, I've always kept to myself the fact that for many years, I have been horribly embarrassed that I grew up in the whitest state in the country and was completely clueless to the kinds of things that are that are being talked about. You know, like it just didn't happen around me, so I just didn't notice, you know, and that's embarrassing, but you can change, you can learn, and educating yourself is an important part of that. Like just pick up a book and start learning about why there is not equality in this country and why it is important to stop saying, you know, I don't see color and, <laughs> you know, just read a book. And, you know, like I said, I am embarrassed and ashamed to have lived my life so long like thinking that everything was fine you know because i didn't see it around me and it didn't affect me in any way you know and so i invite everyone else to you know take those steps and you know it's okay to be embarrassed and ashamed and you know learn more i i mean just from working at book riot i've learned so much about the world that i did not know um, and that is one thing that that I'm thankful for the internet for you know lots of times i'm like oh internet mm-hmm. you know but it does like teach you a lot about the world and what is going on is very important. That said, 
Thank you today to our sponsors. Thank you to our listeners. I feel bad like I only got three books done today, you know, because I feel like I'm letting people down. But I also feel like we're kind of like a family here. Like, I agree. The All the Books family and, and people, you know, who've been listening for a long time, they know me. They understand. So I feel good about that. That feels good. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach us at allthebooks at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.